We are uh, following this Advent season through the lectionary. So we are reading the same texts as many thousands, millions uh, of other believers are reading on the same day. That's not the case through a lot of the year, for us anyway. We're not always in the lectionary, but we are this Advent season. So I'll go ahead and tell you what book and chapter will be in for our three readings. We'll start in Isaiah 11, we'll go to Romans 15, and then we'll be in Matthew 3 where we'll focus most of our attention. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Going now to Romans chapter 15, verses 4 through 13. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the, Christ all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. 
But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warn you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for your word. Without it, we confess that we would be left to our own ideations, to our own understanding, to our own wisdom, which we see is severely lacking. We thank you that you have set your word over us, that you have given to us your Holy Spirit, who illuminates the words on these pages, who illuminates our hearts to understand what it is that you would have us to understand. I pray that you would help my words to be in accordance with that. If they are not, would you forgive me and make them to be forgotten? We ask that you open our minds, that you open our hearts to receive that truth through your word now. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so you've heard already, we're in Advent. Uh, we're, not, we're not yet in Christmas. I, I just last night saw, I don't remember if it was in the New York Times or somewhere on one of my apps, I was reading, looking through the headlines, and I saw a thing that, I don't even remember what the headline was actually, because you'll see why I didn't give much attention to this article. It started like it was going to explain pretty accurately what Advent is, and then it didn't. Then it was all about, you know, a preparation for, for watching for baby Jesus and celebrating his birth. And I don't want to be a downer to any of that stuff, but that's not what we're doing in Advent. What we're doing right now is we're looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. Uh, last week, Anthony talked about judgment. This week, if you don't know, we're going to focus in, in Matthew. We're going to talk about repentance. So that doesn't feel a whole lot better to us. It certainly doesn't necessarily bring up these kind of warm and fuzzy feelings that we're wanting to feel that our culture is telling us we ought to be feeling right now with the lights and the purchases and sugar cookies or whatever. Um, that's, not, that's not quite where we're at. We're going to celebrate Jesus. We do celebrate Jesus. We will celebrate Jesus today just maybe in a, in a way that is unexpected and certainly different than what the world would expect from us. Um, so it's supposed to be a challenging season. Again, I'm talking about judgment. Today we're going to talk about repentance. It's not that they're supposed to be impossible, but it's supposed to be challenging for us. Uh, and we have here in Matthew chapter 3, uh, the guy who's been nicknamed Mr. Advent. We have John the Baptist. He is, he is more than just rough around the edges. We get some of that picture here. Um, 
He is living out in the wilderness. He is unkempt. He is single, which I don't say to say there's anything wrong with singleness, but it's unusual in this day. He is uh, out there not partaking of the even scant luxuries of his culture. He is uh, an unusual, strange guy. He is, he is bristling with an energy, though. He is bristling with this message of repentance. He's saying, repent, because God's coming. Uh, he says, hey, there should be evidence in your life of God's, uh, of your repentance. Um, and what he's telling is the people here is, you better not think yourself good enough or think the way that you live your life to be good enough to satisfy a holy God. This scene is, is taking place, again, evidence that we're not quite talking about the birth of Jesus yet. This scene is taking place some 30 years after Jesus is born. Uh, and he's not just calling the people then to repentance, is he, though? He is, he is making a call, along with all of the prophets, all of the priests who have become before him, of repentance for all of time. Uh, in, a, in some ways, John the Baptist is kind of the last uh, priest and prophet from the Old Testament. Um, you can see that literally if you, if you go back and read. His father is a priest. His mother is of the line of Aaron. Um, and he is serving um, in this really particular space where Jesus has showed up on the scene and is about to bring everything into uh, an understanding under the new covenant. So, so my point is what John's doing is not, is not just saying, hey, you people who can hear me, you need to repent. What he's saying is, because remember John, John uh, responds, even in his mother's womb, the scripture tells us, to the presence of, of Jesus in his mother's womb. John knows who Jesus is, and we'll see just a little bit in this chapter, uh, Jesus is not far away in, in literally or metaphorically or anything else. He's saying, hey, God is, God is here, and you better get your stuff together. So he's a priest. He's a prophet. He is getting himself involved in this call across time, spanning all of time, to prepare for the coming of the Lord to earth. Um. If that picture doesn't quite resonate with you, maybe one kind of silly way that we can wrap our minds around what it might have felt like for those people to be around John, to hear his message, is to think about that more modern dude on the street corner who's yelling at people to repent of their sins. A lot of you have actually seen that. I've seen that. Or you've seen it in a movie or something like that. Now imagine that obnoxious dude, except for two differences. One, he's actually sent by God. Two, he's actually right. You laugh, but how, how would that make you feel? Would you feel skeptical, of course, judged, as many people do with that guy, uh, defensive, weirded out, uh, I think I would feel unsure of what to do, really. Um, 
And so let me break in here with a, a, a point of maybe comfort, and we'll move maybe into some harder stuff, is that God does not want you to be confused or worried about what to do about your sinfulness. Um, to be clear, we are supposed to be upset, even shocked, worried by our sin. In, in this call to repentance, we are meant to see the horror of our sin. Um, Jesus though, says elsewhere that he has call, come to call sinners to repentance. That's what he's come to do. So if he's come to do that, maybe we can start to trust that that's not an entirely bad thing. It's maybe uncomfortable. It's challenging. But it's not an entirely bad thing that we're called to repentance. Um, so what we're called to do is, is you are called to see that you're a sinner. You are great people. I see lots of familiar faces. I know lots of you. You're great people. I love you. But you're a sinner just like me. And that is the first thing that we are to see in repentance. I don't know what that, what that looks like for you, what that feels like for you. Um, I know that for me, you know, I can look and see how sin in my life looks different than it did 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. But let me tell you the truth is that I have not, I have not entirely stopped sinning. Wretched man that I am, as Paul says. Uh, but look, this, this drawing of our attention um, to our sinfulness is also not new to John. He's not, like I mentioned before, with the other pro uh, prophets and priests, he's not the first or only person to do this. This goes all the way back to the garden. In Genesis 3, when God says to Adam and Eve, where are you? He's not asking, literally, like, where are you? I don't see you in all of this luscious garden. What he's doing is he's pursuing them, and he's giving them an invitation to repentance. We see this continue throughout the Old Testament as God pursues his people. We see specific instances of this. We see this, of course, with Israel as a collective people. God is pursuing his people and calling them to repentance. David is, is perhaps the most obvious example of this, right? His, his life, his psalms are soaked in tears. Tears that come out of a real knowledge and understanding of the damage of his sin, of the murderous, adulterous nature of his sin. Sorry, I was trying not to cry. Um, and this, this, this idea that, that sin is appalling and that we're supposed to land on that understanding isn't too new to any of us, right? Whether you're a Christian or not, uh, this is kind of our default. Our default is to say, um, hey, we're all sinners, and I think maybe I'm supposed to uh, 
repent. I'm supposed to ask for forgiveness. I'm supposed to confess with the hope that maybe God will forgive me and then everything will be okay. Now, we don't say that. Uh, We don't say it that way. But that's the way that it usually plays out in our lives. Um, And that's part of our sinfulness, too. That's part of our fallenness, to think that we might or to think that we must somehow make up for our own shortcomings. So if that's the way that, that we, who confess Christ, act and live a lot of times, like, oh, I've got to go apologize so that maybe I can be forgiven. If that's how we're framing repentance, then it really shouldn't be a surprise to us that non-believers kind of have that view of Christians too. Like, man, you guys are crazy. Like, you think that there's a God who can forgive you? And if that was even true, I'm not sure that I've done anything wrong. Uh, so we are contributing to this view Uh, that the world has of Christians in terms of forgiveness and repentance. Um, But all of this, if that all seems pretty obvious or familiar to you, all of this is only a part of what repentance is. The, The idea that you should land on or understand the truth of your own sinfulness is important. Because it's true. You should feel that. You should feel that. You should know that. It's true, but it is not the full picture of repentance. Uh, And repentance is not, as I've just described, where we have to do something to make up for our shortcomings. Repentance is not the same thing as penance. In other words, it's it's not something that we have to do Um, in order to be forgiven. Uh, You're not earning anything in repentance. That's what I'm saying. You're not earning earning anything in living a life of repentance. Don't hear that and think that I'm saying you don't need to repent. That's not what I'm saying. Read a little bit of your Bible. You'll hear otherwise. What I'm saying is that Rather than being some sort of penance, repentance is actually a gift given to us by a good, good God. Uh, I have to acknowledge here, some years ago, um, when I was, I I don't want to sound like I've mastered anything. I definitely have not mastered anything. When I was growing in repentance and beginning to learn about it, one of the uh, pretty influential people that I read was Richard Foster. And he has a book, a lot of you have probably read it, on prayer. Uh, And he calls this the prayer of tears. And I I bring that up because that's a good source to look at, but also because I may not be able to go much longer without citing something from him. So there's my citation. Um, Let me tell you a few things that repentance is. If it's not this thing that I have to do in order to gain forgiveness, if it's not something that I'm achieving for myself, then what is it? Repentance is a gift. What else is it? What does that mean? Um, Repentance is a change of mind. Repentance is, is a grace that God gives to our minds and to our hearts to even understand 
that there is an infinite expanse between myself and God. When we are blind to the reality of that, we don't even know that it's there, right? Your whatever, your pagan neighbor, maybe yourself, myself, at one point, we only know that that expanse is there. But that's the first thing that repentance is. This is a change of mind to allow us to understand that there is a separation between ourselves and God. Um, this, is, uh, this is something that we're blind to. Repentance also is a reorientation. It is a touching of our eyes to heal us of our blindness. It is a gift by which we can see our lowly state. And repentance is a, is a remaking because in this blind and shallow state, you and I are these stones. We are the stones that have to be raised up and be called children by God himself. So repentance begins not with you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps or by someone up here exhorting you to repentance, repentance begins with the action of God. Because what you and I don't need is we don't need more, I mean, we do need more exhortation to repent. That We probably do. That's kind of not what we need, though. Because given only more reminders to repent, is not necessarily going to cause me to repent. If you're like me, if all you ever hear is like, hey, you should repent, hey, you need to repent, uh, I'm never really going to want to do it. I'm never going to repent of my own volition, is what I'm saying. And I'm certainly not going to accomplish anything in that. Um, what we need is for someone to do the thing for us. What we need is for someone to make us different. What we need is for someone to come on the scene who's powerful enough to make this vision that we read twice now in Isaiah 11 true or possible. In repentance, I see the awfulness of myself and that God has covered that infinite expanse by sending his son Jesus. Apart from him, I am as good as a lifeless stone. I'm not just an awful sinner. I might as well be a rock out there. Until God changes me fundamentally, until he raises me up, until he gives me life and he calls me his child, Repentance begins with the action of God. If you're here and you have not experienced repentance this way, for sure some of you have been abused in such a way that you have believed repentance is a thing you must do or you are damned. And yet you read it in Scripture and so you, so you believe, yeah, I've got to do it in Scripture, and then 
whatever your experience is, is telling you it's this way. You don't know how to reconcile that. What I want you to hear again, repentance is a gift from God. Repentance is not God looking to beat you over the head, to make you feel shame and guilt, though we ought to feel those things at times. Maybe you don't know or haven't heard that repentance is a grace. You are invited into that today. We are taught, uh, taught that our whole lives ought to be lives of repentance. Uh, you know, Martin Luther's first of his 95 theses says that. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. You're invited into that today and every day. This repentant life where we see our own sinfulness, our own brokenness, and that we can do nothing about it. Is, is a life that, like David's, is covered and filled with tears. These tears of, of compunction or these tears of, of uh, sorrow in our hearts, though, are turned to tears of joy. They are turned to tears of joy wherein we see and understand in our confession and our repentance that we are loved, that we are forgiven. We are not brought to our knees to confess in hopes that maybe Jesus will look at me. We confess in the presence of Jesus who has already accomplished all of these things and who is our guarantee. The fruit of repentance, likewise, is not manifested by our own efforts. But the fruit of repentance is due to the efficacious work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That Holy Spirit who is our guarantee that Christ is coming again. What we are looking forward to in this season of Advent. Repentance is a gift from God that is meant to open our hearts and our minds to the wonders of Jesus Christ throughout all of time and fixing that gaze on his eventual triumphant return. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you giving to us the grace of repentance. Thank you for meeting us in that place where we may be hard-hearted, cold-hearted, tearful, where we know and recognize painfully our brokenness. Thank you that you meet us there and you guarantee to us and assure us again and again and again that the Father loves us, that we are his children, 
and that that will never change. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that in repentance, you are changing us. That we are not the same as we were. And yet we are not the same as we, want, as we will be when you return. Thank you, Jesus, for accomplishing all of this work for us. I pray for the people in this room that you would soften their hearts, that you would minister to them with the grace of repentance, that though they feel ashamed like I have, like I do, of their sinfulness, that you would warmly and graciously embrace them yet again, that you would grow them, that you would fix their eyes upon you, Jesus, now and forevermore as we look forward to your return. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for accomplishing all of this work and more for us, Lord Jesus. We love you and we praise you. Amen.